Okay, this is Luke 15, 11 to 31. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came back to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Amen. Grab a seat if you didn't already. Thank you, Kim, for reading that passage for us. Hey, my name is, is Adam, and I get to open scripture with you today. And i um, excited to be here in person with you or online if you're watching from a device. Um, this is our second Sunday of Lent. If you're unfamiliar with the practice of Lent, it's something that the Church of Jesus has been doing for centuries, uh, where we take the, the 40 days minus the Sundays leading up to Easter to put a specific focus on who Jesus is and how he's leading us. And it parallels with the story of, of Jesus that we read a long time ago earlier in the book of Luke, 
where he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts and is there that he's tempted but does not sin and it's there that he is connecting uniquely with the Father. And so we step into this season to do the same thing. And, and for us, the theme of this season is, is a couple things. Firstly, is, is our own hearts. Becoming aware of what God is inviting us into at our heart level and knowing our own hearts so that we can, the second thing, become people who are surrendered more and more to God. That we have this belief that God wants to do something significant with our lives. And that significance doesn't work from the outside in, but is birthed in our hearts, working its way from the inside out. And so we're taking this season to say, God, here is our heart, yielded and surrendered to you. What would you have us do? Where would you lead us? What would you have us repent of? Here's our heart, working itself to the outside. And of course, this is leading up to Celebration Sunday, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus, and celebrate God's working his life in our hearts to the outside of our lives. One of the, the clearest ways that we get to do that is through the celebration of, of baptism. As someone being submerged in the water, coming up, representing the death and life of Jesus that we are claiming is our salvation, a representation of what God has done in the heart externally visible for all of us to see and to celebrate. So in this Lent season, if, if you are a Jesus follower who has not yet been baptized, as we are leading up to this Easter celebration, I would encourage you, this is the time. This is the season. Come find me, come find one of our pastors, come to the table, email one of us. We'd love to have that conversation with you as we are in this Lent season pursuing what God has for our hearts. Um, if you've got your Bible or your device, make your way to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we get to sit with this powerful story that, that Kim just read. And as you're making your way there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to briefly pray for us. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to be in this place and gathering online, um, that we get to be people of hope, not based on our efforts, not based on the collective goodness that we have, but rather in you. And today I, I would ask as we open your scripture that you would speak clearly to our hearts and reveal more clearly to us who you are. Would the misunderstandings and misconceptions we have about you, would they slip away? Would the, the, the places in our lives and in our hearts that we are unyielded and not surrendered become a clear and obvious invitation by your spirit to lay those at your feet? And we thank you for this day in your name. Amen. So I had a, a really good friend when I was uh, in college. It was actually my roommate. His name was, was Rob Tharp. Um, still to this day, even though I don't see him often, one of my very good friends. And if, if you were to connect with Rob today, you would experience someone who is kind, who has a generous smile, a jovial personality, who is easy to be around, which you wouldn't maybe experience right away. Is, is his story. He has an, a pretty amazing and difficult story. When Rob was, was born and, and he was a very, very young child, he was abandoned by his biological family and found himself in a chaotic foster situation going from family to family in North Dakota, 
very unstable, very difficult. His stories are numerous of abuse and pain and rejection. And, and this was his upbringing, this was experience, and eventually it became his way of negotiating this world around him and his way of living. He began living a life of destruction, making decisions that led to more calamity, more pain, and more rejection over and over again. And, and he hit a point in his young 20s where he kind of hit rock bottom. He was in a very toxic relationship, in a bad situation, living destructive lifestyle, and he, he just hit rock bottom. And he tells this story, and he says that, that when he hit rock bottom, he had this memory of being a very young child in one of the foster situations he was in. The foster family sent him to a local church's vacation Bible school. If you don't know what vacation Bible school is, I don't even know if they do this anymore, but, but, they, but they used to, in local churches, host these week-long day camps for kids in the neighborhood to come and learn about Jesus. And it's a win-win because the kids come and it's fun, it's engaging, and they learn about Jesus. And the homes that they leave get free childcare in the middle of the summer for a week. It's fantastic. And he said in this moment, he was driving in his truck and he just hit rock bottom. And he said, what is this life even for? He said in his mind, he has no idea why, but instantly what came to his mind was, was sitting in a circle at Vacation Bible School and hearing about this father who wouldn't leave, who wouldn't abandon, who would love him, who would accept him, who would heal him and would every moment of every day of his life be present with him. And he said, I, I just reached out. I didn't even know how, I didn't know what to say. I just said, God, if you're there, I need help. I need you. And he was in his truck, he had to pull over because he said he just began to bawl. He began to experience through the Holy Spirit, God's faithful presence. Like these seeds of God's goodness sown gener or decades before, he began to experience that. Now, if you find Rob, he's in the, the Denver Metro working with at-risk youth, sowing those same seeds into their hearts. Seeds of the goodness of God, our heavenly father, who doesn't leave, who doesn't betray, who is perfect love present with us. This is the story that, that we get to look at today that we read in Luke chapter 15, and, and like many of these stories, it's told on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus is making his way to this place, the city of Jerusalem, where he is going to be betrayed, he's going to put, be put on trial, falsely accused, uh, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be flogged, he's going to be humiliated, he's going to be put to death, and where three days later, he will raise again. And on his way into Jerusalem, he is having these conversations and these proclamations about his father. And this one begins... In, in Luke chapter 15, like a lot of these do, it, it, it explains who his audience is, who's getting to hear these, sto these stories. And it says in Luke 15, verse 1, Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Luke 15 begins by explaining who is getting to hear these powerful stories taught by Jesus. And it's, it's tax collectors and sinners. We, we don't really have a comparable industry of tax collectors. They're not just people who are working for the government to collect taxes. It is kind of known and understood. It's, it's a corrupt industry. 
They're people who have taken advantage of other people, who've extorted money out of them and, and other known sinners. So, so kind of the worst of the worst of society sitting alongside the religious leaders and the teachers of the law as Jesus is beginning to tell these stories about what is lost being made found and returning home. The first two stories he tells in Luke 15 are one of a, of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. The shepherd has a hundred sheep and, and one of them go, it gets lost. And it, he says that he leaves the 99 sheep, he leaves the flock to go find the one that's lost. And when he finds it, there's celebration. And then he tells another story of a, of a woman who had 10 coins of great value. And, and one of the coins she loses in the home and she begins to sweep the home and she asks for help to look for it. And, and when it's discovered and she finds it, there's great celebration. He is teaching these stories about what is lost, this thing of value that he has come to find, to restore and to celebrate. In the next several chapters, in, in, in Luke 19, four chapters from now, we'll even hear Jesus say about the mission that he's on, that he's come to seek and save what is lost and to restore it to the Father. And then he gets into the story that we're going to look at today, the story of, of a father and, and, and two sons. And it's a, a parable. And parable stories are, are stories that are told to have parallel spiritual undertones and meanings. And, and in this story, we are introduced to these three characters. And in this story, we are given access to see their hearts. The heart of the younger son, the heart of the older brother, and the heart of the father. And in seeing their hearts, we get to look at our own heart and ask the questions, how we relate to this father, the father that we see and the father that we experience. And so as we discover these hearts, let's look at this story in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property among them. So the story that Jesus is telling begins with this kind of outrageous reality and ask from the younger son to come to his father, who's, who's not dead, who has an estate and says, hey, I, I want my inheritance, the thing I'm gonna have when you're gone. I actually want that now. It's kind of an odd request. I, I don't know what that would be like for us today if I, as a young man and in my 20s, went to my father and said, hey, dad, I know you, you have something for me when you're, when you're gone, but I actually would like that now. Would, would you go ahead and just give me my inheritance now? I think my father would be very sad, uh, would not give it to me. I think if my mom overheard, it would be very scary and not go well for me. It'd be Wolven City, even if I was 20 or not. But in this scenario, it's even more egregious. This, this homestead that the father would have had and represented, that had servants, it had his family, it had a field that they were working, it would have generated income and needed resources for more than just these three people, these three characters in the story. This younger son asking for his part of the estate to be sold off and liquidated so that he can have those resources and go is actually bringing destruction to people all around them and shame to the father. 
This egregious ask that the younger son says, I want what you have from the future now. I want it to be entrusted into my hands so that I can go and live the life that I want. And then the story picks up in verse 13 and says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and, and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, the, to feed, the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The predictable outcome of this immature younger son who asked his father for his inheritance early to be placed in his hands so that he can dictate the outcome of his life, so that he can meet the needs of his life, his appetite, his affirmation, his experiences in life. And in this, his heart is revealed. In this, what's revealed about his heart is that he doesn't trust the father to provide for him what he needs. He wants that trust placed in his own hands to govern his own life, to steer his own life and to provide for himself what he doesn't believe he can get from the father in the presence of the father. So he takes his inheritance, leaves and goes to a distant land and squanders away all that he has. In your Bible, this, this story might be called the uh, parable of the, of the lost son or it might be called the prodigal son. That word prodigal means without restraint or limits. It's, it's gratuitous, it's over the top. And that is how this younger brother lives. In seeking to provide for himself what he did not trust their father for, he leads his life to calamity and shipwreck. It says that it gets so dire after a, a, a famine hits the land and he's gone through all his resources that he hires himself out as an indentured servant to go work in a field and feed pigs. Now, Jesus specifically and intentionally says pigs because in this cultural setting with Jewish people, that is the worst of the worst animals. It's the worst. It's the lowest possible job you can have. And in this lowest possible job, he's looking at what the pigs are eating and he's longing for it. The garbage, the trash, he is at absolute rock bottom. The lesson that he's learned to take what the father is offering to provide for him and attempting to create that for himself. This is a lesson that the people of God are having to learn over and over. This is a lesson in my own life that I've had to learn over and over. When I take what God is inviting me to trust him with, the most dire needs of my heart, when I seize control of that and seek to provide those things for myself, I find myself experiencing what the prodigal son is experiencing. Maybe not such a dramatic example but certainly the same effects. This is coming up for the people of God over and over. Listen to these words. This is in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah is a prophet to God's people, speaking for God to God's people, calling them to repentance over and over. And this is what he says in 13, speaking for God, my people have committed two sins. 
They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns or their own wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God's frustration and complaint with his people is twofold. One, they've left him. They've left the Father, the one who provides the living water, the one who has the very sustenance that our soul absolutely requires and that nothing else can satisfy. He is the well of that living water and his people have left him and they've attempt, attempted to dig wells, cisterns for themselves that are broken, that do not hold water. This is a common experience. Many of us could think about places in our own life where we've dug cisterns and wells within our own ability to provide for ourselves what our Heavenly Father has made available for us. This young man, this prodigal, he's experiencing the consequences of going from the Father's presence, not trusting the Father with what he can provide and seeking to provide for himself. He finds himself at this rock bottom place. Then it says this, verse 17, when he came to his senses, I love this turn in the story as we're discovering this young man's heart, his motivations, what's led him to this place. We get to see this as well. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. In his lowest place of brokenness, he has this epiphany. He has this prophetic awareness of his father's goodness. Those seeds sown of a lifetime of being with his father, seeing that his father treats their hired servants good and fair and just, and that they have food to spare. He has this awareness and this memory of who his father is and says to himself, I'll go back to my father. I'll own what I've done. I'll come and surrender and repent before him. I'll turn from this life of mistake after mistake that's led to calamity and I'll repent and go to my father and ask him if I can be like one of his hired servants. He has an awareness of his father's goodness, but, but he has no idea how good his father actually is. That his father is gonna more than meet his expectation because of him crying out and returning to the father. I hope you know, this is an invitation that's always extended to us. There's no place that our brokenness, our failures and mistakes can lead us or bring us that is out of our Father's reach. There's no place of despair where we can find ourselves that we can't cry out to the Father. He's good, he's present, he can be trusted. I love this, this prayer. This is in, in Psalm 130. This is one of the Psalms of Ascent. 
And it's written by someone who's, who's in the same place of this prodigal son. And, and maybe it captures really well how this prodigal son's heart would have felt. And it says this, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman, wait for the morning, yes, more than the watchman, wait for the morning. I love that scripture teaches us how to cry out to our Father and gives us confidence that in the most dire, desperate places we find ourselves, our Father is listening, and He's present, and He's willing. He has an expectation of His Father's goodness. But this next passage, this next few verses, reveals the Father's heart, and it's beyond overwhelming. It says this in 21, or I'm sorry, in, in 25. No. I'm going to get there, I promise. In 20, we'll just keep reading it all. So he goes to his father, and here it is. And while he was still a long way off, his father, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now remember, this story is being told to this collection of sinners and tax collectors, these people who are social outcasts, whose access to the Father has been completely cut off, whose perspective and view of the Father is probably severe and, and surrounded by judgment and surrounded by rejection. And Jesus is telling the story of this wayward son who casts shame on his father, takes from his father, goes and wasted on wild living, completely implodes his life, end up feeding pigs, and now is going to return to the Father and and their expectation might have been, and the father saw him from far off, had him flogged, beaten, and thrown out, had him rejected, had him put in prison, said, you are no longer my son. This is what they would have expected. And then they hear these words that while he was far off, the father saw him because he was looking for him. And the father was moved by compassion and ran to this son, threw his arms around him, dirtied himself because this kid had been with pigs, soils himself to be with his son and kisses him. I can imagine the people hearing this story, the sinners and tax collectors, like a wave of God's mercy rushing over them to see this father that Jesus represented and is presenting to them. Maybe there is a way for us. Man, if, if the father would run with compassion in his heart to this prodigal son, I think he would run to me. Maybe this father's heart is far more good and far more compassionate than we ever knew or realized. The father runs. He throws his arms around this son who was gone and he kisses him. And then they get into dialogue in 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He comes with repentance in his heart, but... The father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. 
Bring a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. This son's expectation was, will you please just accept me as a servant? I, I know I'm not worthy to be your son. I have wrecked this. I see it. It's my fault. I did it. I own the action. And his father says, put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Those things that signify he is royalty because he is my son. I am bringing him back into my family. He's embraced him. He's kissed him. And he tells his workers, get the fattened calf and kill it. We're making tacos tonight. We're going to celebrate because the thing that I care about, the person whom I love, who has broken my heart, whom I've longed to be with, has come to me. And no amount of mistakes and brokenness and filth is going to separate me from my son. I love him. And in that moment, he's restored to family. This is the story that Jesus tells to reveal the heart of God. And I can imagine these sinners and tax collectors weeping, hearing this. And I hope it impacts us. I hope the places in our hearts where we have settled into seeing God as distant and severe and leading as the judge of our lives, but we don't experience him as the loving father who would run to us when we've made a mess of things. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow us to see that version of the father who's patient with our brokenness, who understands our frailty and our, our, and, and our humble state, and who doesn't shy back from us, who doesn't hide his face in frustration and shame and rejection, but runs to us. The heart of the Father is being revealed, and it's his goodness that has led this prodigal son back to him. It says this in Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become his heirs. The hope of eternal life. The goodness of the father wooed his son to return back to him. And what an encouraging reality for those of us here who say, I, I, I feel like the prodigal. And Adam, I, I've made a mess of things. I feel so far from God that we can recall his goodness. Or maybe for the, the friend that you have, the child that you have, the parent that you have, the sibling, the family member who, that you have, that you've cried out to God for, who feels so far from God, they've gone to make a mess of their thing. Like my friend, Rob, those seeds of God's goodness, they take root in the heart. And he's constantly through his Holy Spirit drawing people back to himself, back to the Father who's ready to love and to make whole and to forgive. Now, maybe if this story was just the tax collectors and the, and the sinners, Jesus ends the story here. It's a good ending spot, right? I mean, Jesus can tell a story, am I right? 
The son is gone. He's made a mess of things. And Jesus made it like the worst of the worst. And now it's the best of the best. And the father loves him. And it's all good. But, but there's another audience there as well. The, 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 tax, or the, the uh, religious leaders and the experts in the law. So Jesus has woven in this other character, the older brother, who is not a prodigal, who has not abandoned the father, who has worked steadfastly. And it says in 25, Meanwhile, where the older son was in the field, when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called out one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. So the brother's given the good news. Man, remember that guy, your brother, who took half the wealth and, and we had to scramble to provide for all these people? Remember you had to work twice as hard? Remember that guy? He's back. Isn't that so awesome? All right. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and plead with him. Again, the father ran to the prodigal son. Now he's going out to this son. Man, this father is in the business of going after people, right? He's in the business of not leaving them where they are, but going after them and pleading with them. He goes out and he pleads with them. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you know what's bad when siblings are describing other siblings as this son of yours, this daughter of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his bro this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The heart of the older brother has lost the heart of the father. The heart of the older brother has gotten too distracted, admired in the work. And the work's important. It has to be done. The father doesn't say, you've wasted all your time with this work. No, this work is critical and it's necessary. But in doing the work and in being steadfast, somewhere along the way, his heart has grown hardened. And he's lost the heart of the father. Because the heart of the father is celebrating what was dead becoming alive. And the heart of this older brother cannot see that. He only sees the formula. I work for you so that I can have this. And the heart of the father wants more, wants there to be life, wants there to be celebration. So Jesus gives us this beautiful story. And we're gonna, here in a few moments, we're gonna come to this table. Our, our band's gonna make their way forward. And we get to sit with this story and these hearts that we hear about. And we get to sit with the condition of our own heart. To ask that question, where in my own heart am I like the prodigal? Where in my own heart am I, am I seizing control for the things that I need? And my, my, my rest, my affirmation, the appetites, the things that I, I, I need in life, I, I don't know if I can trust the Father. 
his provision and his presence? Where in those places in my heart am I needing to come to this table and surrender them before God? Or maybe we find ourselves a little bit in the shoes of the older brother. Saying, man, I've been at this for a while. But I don't have a sense of God's presence. And I've I've been faithful. God, I've done what you said. I've done my best day after day, year after year, season after season. But but my heart's grown a little bit hard. I I don't recognize and enjoy your presence the way that I once did. That as we come to this table, that we have a renewed vision of who this father is. He's good. He's loving. He doesn't treat us as our mistakes and our sins would dictate. That he celebrates when those who are far, who have squandered their lives, return home. And he's patient with us in every season of our life. The team's about to, to lead us in a song. It's a new song called God is Love, and it It gives us language for this God that we're discovering in this passage, who doesn't treat us as our mistakes would dictate, but meets us faithfully and graciously as a loving father. As we sing this song, I invite you to come to this table to take these elements that represent Jesus's body, his blood broken for us. And in in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told that, that this symbol that we have of communion is the thing that we are proclaiming as our hope, as our means of life until we get to be face to face with Jesus. And to come to this table assessing the condition of our heart and responding to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to lay down, to surrender, and to see more clearly this God of love. Father, thank you for this story and for so many stories um, modeled by your son, taught by your son, that, that we get to see more clearly who you are. And I love that you're the father who runs, not away from our brokenness, not hiding in shame, but runs towards us, gracious and patient, weaving us back into your family. And so today, with that confidence, we come to this table proclaiming your goodness as the hope of our lives. Let's worship.